as we introduce our autumn series, Creating Community Together, we're going to continue in, uh, in prayer. We're going to say some words that will be very familiar to a majority of us. They're going to come on the screen, and then I want to just simply comment on them. But I want us to say them very... Uh, we don't, I don't want us to rush through them, but I want us to reflect on them and just to use them as a prayer together. As I say, they're very familiar words. They're the words of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, some love these words. Others don't love them so much. Some love saying them. Others don't feel any need to. But this morning I want us just simply to enter into these words and to use this prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, and forever. Amen. Do you notice something about that prayer? There isn't an I, there isn't a me, there isn't a my in it. It is a community prayer. It is a prayer to be expressed in community. Even the first word, our, our Father in heaven. And it goes all the way through, doesn't it? Give me today my daily bread? No. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's that community aspect. It's a prayer that is said within community and it's a prayer that is lived out in community and it was a prayer that was given to a community the disciples came and said to Jesus Lord will you teach will you teach us to pray <coughs> not will you teach me to pray but will you teach us to pray 
And these are some of the words that he gave them. A Christian life is to be lived out and worked out in community. And there's a very real sense that actually, I think from my generation, sadly, there has become a very big emphasis upon the me, the my and the I within our faith. To the detriment of that whole sense of community dynamic that there is within the gospel and within faith. That we are responsible to each other. And we are responsible for each other. Now that may feel a very terrible big weight upon our shoulders. But there's a sense in which we have been born again into the kingdom of God and into the family of God. We have been born again into community. I wonder what the word community means to you. If I picked up the microphone and passed it round, I wonder what you would be sharing or what you would be saying. This morning, your understanding of community. Now, over the years, I've been part and parcel of many different communities. I grew up in a very small rural community of a village called Alderton in uh, South Northamptonshire. There were less than 100 people within that village, and I knew every one of them. And they knew me. And that had its benefits, but it also had its uh, downside to it. Because you couldn't get away with anything. You couldn't get away with anything. By the time you got home, whatever you've been doing, it got home before you. <laughs> but the reality was, I knew where I could get a glass of orange, orange aid. I knew where I could get a cake. I knew where I could go if I needed help. Or if something had gone wrong. There was that sense of community. The village is very different now. Whilst we're in our first ministry in Clare, in Suffolk, again, a very much a rural community of 2,500 people with a distinct boundary, a distinct community identity there, we, as the local churches, started something called the Clare Community Project. That word again. Wanting to engage within the community. And whether it was in pastoral care, whether it was in home visiting, whether it was taking people to hospital appointments, whether it was a taxi service, whether it was a day centre, there were lots of things initiated there to build that identity of community through the local church. Whilst we were up in London, for a number of years I was chairperson of something called the Thursdown Community Project. We laughed when we moved to London because we moved into this area called Thursdown. And uh, it's there in uh, southwest London, in Wandsworth, on the edge of Wandsworth, Croydon, and Streatham, if you know that sort of part of London. And people used to refer to Thursdown as being the village. That's right, wasn't it, Carol? The village. And, you know, both of us knew what village life was like, and it certainly wasn't Thursdown. But there was Thursdown Community Project, working amongst those who were 55 years and older, and yes, we must have had a community of 500 people there that we were working with, bringing community and identity there. Yes, we move into here, Bratton, Bratton community. Bratton, a definable community. 
I'm, I'm on Facebook, and I'm on something called the Breton Community Page. I don't know how many of you are. There's lots of people on it. I think I can probably name or know enough people on the fingers of one hand that are part of it. The rest are just a nameless group of people. And yet it's Breton community. Community means lots of different things to it, isn't it? In an age when we have an overload of social media, we can be friends with people around the world, but still lack a sense of community and belonging. I remember when Facebook started, and there was that rush to see who could be the first to get 100 friends. Then who could get 200 friends? Oh, and I've got 500. No, and I've got 700. No, I've got 1,000. That sense of wanting a community. But is that community? Being off for the last two weeks, it means that you get a bit too overdose, shall I say, on daytime television or radio. Uh, I don't recommend it necessarily. But I've been struck recently by, B by the BBC. They've done something called the loneliness experiment. I don't know whether any of you have picked up on it. But they've done this questionnaire and they've done an experiment to find out the levels of loneliness. And I think it's gone na international, not just national. And it's come up with some surprising statistics that the millennials are the most lonely generation that there is. They talk about having so many friends but no connections. Actually, the group that you think that perhaps would ex exhibit something of uh, a high level of loneliness, those who are retired and older, exhibit much less level of loneliness. And some of the conclusions they're coming to is the fact that they have a different perspective on life and a different expectation of life and what life will bring because of life's experiences. But it seems as if we can have large numbers of friends and contacts, uh, and contacts, but an increasing sense of loneliness and lack of real community. As a church membership, when we started to look ahead to the future and we started to prepare a profile, we spent an evening as a membership here answering some questions. And one of those questions was, about what we spoke at length about the pros and the cons of Breton Baptist Church being a community. And that's where this series has come out of. How do we create a community together when we're a diverse group of people spread over a city and beyond and into the villages, when we cross two congregations, when there's constantly an influx of people and people moving around? How do we maintain that sense of community? Well, if you look into the dictionary, that's what the dictionary says a community is, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. Now we could identify with that. We're all living roughly in the same place. <coughs> and uh, we have some characteristics in common. We're all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us together. Community is something that we all want. 
no matter how we are wired, whether in, we're introverted, extrovert, socially adept, or socially awkward. It's something in our souls long for meaningful relationships with other people. Some of us are satisfied with a few. Others want big crowds. But we treasure friendships that allow us to truly be ourselves. Thank God for those relationships where we can truly be ourselves. Some of us have never found that sort of community. And others of us have been hurt, hurt deeply and wounded by communities and by relationships. But all of us still, in one sense or another, still deeply long for meaningful relationships, for real community. How did we get this way? How did this craving, this longing to get hard, got hard, hardwired into us? <clears throat> the Bible answers this question by explaining that we were created in the image of God and God created us for community. I'm just going to introduce three areas. God created us for community, God redeemed us for community and God transforms us in community. And to do that, I'm going to use one or two readings. Now, this might be a little bit like a paper chase, because they literally are just a few verses picked from here and there. They'll come up on the screen, so, but do follow them if you, in your Bibles if you want to. <coughs> the beginning of Genesis, chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then later, and we know what happens then. God begins to create the world. He begins to shape the world and he brings the world into being. And later on, we read, then God said, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. <coughs> and we move through the scriptures. And we find that uh, the story progresses, which we will come back to, but there comes a point where where God is creating a nation. He's drawing the nation of Israel together and he's about to give the people of Israel uh, the way that they should live. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. The recognition that our Lord, the God, is one God. In a, an age and in a day when there are a multitude of gods. We move into the New Testament and Jesus. Truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Jesus was later to say, I and the Father are one. In Corinthians, 
Paul writes, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. There's no better identity of a community, is there, than our bodies. Our individual parts are nothing but what they are together, as one. A community. And I don't know what your idea is in terms of the future and in terms of what salvation and what heaven will bring. But the Revelation paints some wonderful pictures. And one of the pictures it paints is this, that after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. It's community. It's community there at the foot of the throne. We are so proud, isn't it, that when we suddenly say, I've got my ticket to heaven, I've got my destiny, I know where I'm going, yes. But you're part of a community, the people of God. God created us for community. One of the oldest and most cherished doctrines of historic Christian theology is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go too deeply into it. But the early church summarised the Trinity like this. Part of the Nicene Creed. Let's say it together. Because this is something of our historic faith. This is what we believe. We may not fully grasp some of the language, but this is how it has been expressed. Let's say it together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being one, one substance with the Father. And we believe in the Holy Ghost, the one Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. This is the God in whom we believe, in whom we stand. The Trinity means that God himself is in community. He himself is in community. Or more accurately, God is community. One God Three persons. Before all worlds, before any sort of human community existed, there was God dwelling in perfect loving harmony in his three, threefold being. In the biblical account of creation, this triune God says, what did he say? We read it. Let us make humanity in our own image let us not let me but let us father son and holy spirit combining together to bring about creation human beings are made to reflect god we are made to mirror his likeness that's how we were created 
That is why our longing for community seems so deep and so basic within us, that longing for meaningful relationships. It's how we're made as God's image bearers. So if deep community is something that we all want, if it is part of being made in God's image, then why is it so hard to attain? Why is it so hard to maintain as well as attain? What keeps us from achieving this type of meaningful human relationship that God wired us for? Well, to answer that, we need to step back into uh, Genesis to probably one of the saddest pictures in the whole Bible. One of the saddest images, and it comes in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? I find that one of the most saddest images and pictures in the Bible. Here is God who has created the world in perfect harmony. Here is the God who walked with his creation because here he is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Here is the God who had showered everything upon his creation and had just simply asked them not to do one thing. But they did that thing. And in that moment, something happened. Something happened that caused that man and that woman then to hide. To hide from God. Is there any sadder picture than that? The God who is looking for community. The God who is looking for relationship. The God who is looking for intimacy. Crying out from the depths of his heart, Where are you? Where are you? Yeah, you know I grew up on a farm. Some of my playmates, as we were youngsters, we used to play around the farm in the days before it was safe to do that. We used to play hide-and-seek, and there were lots and lots of lumps and crannies that we could find and we could hide in. And sometimes you'd just get bored of the game, and they'd come to a point where we'd cry, Where are you? There's the breaking heart of God. Why? Because that relationship has been broken through sin between him and the creation that he created. And not only between him and the creation that he has created, but in the creation itself, between the man and the woman, who up until this point felt no shame, but then suddenly realised they're naked and they hide themselves. When sin entered the world, it broke the intimacy of community, Community with God, with ourselves, and with each other. The sad thing about sin is that rather than build one another up, we will constantly knock one another down and use one another for our own agenda. Just think for a moment how easily we become offended. How dare they say that to me? 
how easily we become angered with one another, how easily we become jealous of one another, or we very deliberately push ourselves forward at the expense of someone else and we climb on their backs. Just think for a moment how easily we do that. Now the good news of the gospel is that ever since that chasm caused by sin opened up, God has been walking, working to bring redemption. That means to deliver us, to ransom us and to set us free. What does Jesus redeem us from? He redeems us from sin and all its effects there at the cross. What does Jesus redeem us for? He redeems us for a life that images God, a life that mirrors God and reflects his goodness to the world. We put it down, don't we, in terms of, oh, God has redeemed me for eternal life, as if it's something in the future. But brothers and sisters, it's not, it's here and now. God redeems us in the here and now for a life that images, that reflects, that mirrors God, his goodness in the world. In other words, one of the chief things that Jesus accomplishes when he redeems us is to restore our capacity for community, our capacity for relationship. How is it that Paul describes it in the books of Ephesians? He says he's broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He's broken it down. And he's opened it up again that we can have that relationship to bring us into community. Not a community of people who look and act just as like us, but a community made up of people from every tribe and tongue and nation on earth. What is it the revelation puts? This is the goal. This is what God is working towards. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, I, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He's bringing us right full circle, right back. God will be with his people, dwelling in the midst of his people. Community. We've been redeemed for community. God has created us for community. He's redeemed us for community. And in so doing, he has made us into his very own body. His very own body, there in 1 Corinthians 12, that is able to live, to love, and make his good news known to all. But God doesn't just simply redeem us. He transforms us. Do you ever notice how patient you are? Now, you're a lovely, patient lot, aren't you? All of you are a lovely, patient lot, as long as no one is getting on your nerves. 
Do you recognise how loving you are? You're all very loving, aren't you? As long as you're surrounded by people who are easy to love. You're all very patient, aren't you? You can tolerate anything, can't you? Except people that irritate you. You're all very humble, aren't you? As long as you're respected and you're admired and you're acknowledged to be the person that you are. Every one of us is a saint in isolation. It's in community that our real weaknesses, flaws and sins are exposed. It's not in isolation, it's in community. Have you ever stopped to wonder why that irritable person is in the office? Well, do you remember that prayer six months ago that you prayed, God, will you give me more patience? God, will you give me more patience? He said, okay. I'll put you next to somebody who's going to rub you up the wrong way. Now learn patience. Learn tolerance. Community is essential. It's not optional for transformation. We can't become the people God wants us to become outside of community. You see, our personal redemption is not the end of the story. Me getting to heaven is not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. That's not what the gospel is simply all about. God is preparing for us a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, 2 Peter 3. God's goal is a renewed creation where redeemed humanity dwell in perfect harmony with each other and with their creator, God. God is out to prepare his people for this glorious future and he's out to prepare his people for that glorious future now by transforming us in this life in preparation for the life to come. And that process the Bible calls sanctification. The process of making us holy. The process of making us to become like God. Now the agent of, pro of sanctification is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who lives in us and who works in us. He's the agent of, of, of sanctification. He's the agent, he's the one who works within us. But the tool that he uses is the truth of the gospel, God's word. It's God's word that he uses to challenge us, to change us and direct us. But then the arena or the context of that sanctification is community. It's the life that we live out together where that sanctification is worked out. That's the arena in which we live and we work. Over the coming weeks, we will be looking at some of the one another sayings in the New Testament as we look to 
discover what it means to create a community together. Some people were saying to me, well, what we need to do is we need to have more shared lunches. Yes, amen to that. I'm all for food, I'm all for eating. We need to be more hospitable. Yes, I'm all for that. That's great. As if somehow it can be just simply magic out of thin air. Or as if people just simply say to me, well, yes, we need to be doing this, David. Well, David, what are you going to do about it? Or the staff team, what are you going to do about it? As if, again, we can just simply magic it. But I believe that it's as we look at these one another sayings that we will be de- begin to discover that if we want to build meaningful, cre- meaningful creative community here at Bratton Baptist Church, then each and every one of us has a responsibility. And it starts with our attitudes. And it starts with our response to those attitudes. Listen to some of those one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourself. I think we could spend the rest of the year on that one, couldn't we? As to what that means. How about accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you? Wow, you don't really mean that, do you, God? You accepted me with all my filth. You accepted me with all my bad habits. You accepted me with all my dirt. Does that mean say I've got to accept them just like that? in order to bring praise to God. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Feel the challenges? My friends, you were chosen to be free, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do anything you want. Wow. That's a bit challenging, isn't it? To do anything you want... Use it as an opportunity to serve each other with love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ forgave you. God, you don't really mean that, do you? I know I've done some mean stuff, and I know you've forgiven me, but you don't really mean me to forgive them, do you? You're not really meaning that, are you? But it's only as we begin to take hold of some of these one another sayings that we will start to build meaningful, creative relationships and community together. That we will start to mirror the image of our God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The God who lives in community, in harmony, together came across this little quote, which I thought was quite pertinent, just to round things off. Jesus did not write a book. He created a community. We so often think of it that God, that Jesus created a book. But he didn't. He created a community. It began with three, it expanded to 12, it expanded to 72, it expanded then by 3,000, 
by 220. Then it expanded to three, by 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And then it began to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply to now that it numbers billions. And there's that community. That community that gathers around the throne drawn from every nation, culture, language, background, high and low, looking towards the throne and to the Lamb and saying, he is worthy. You see, we were born for community and we are destined for community. And it's in the here and now that we are prepared for community. Let's pray.